This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. called Vital Signs. We're taking our spiritual pulse, looking at the heartbeat of what it means to be a healthy Christian and a healthy church. So our sermons are up on SoundCloud and the rest of the back catalogue will get up there in the next couple of weeks. So if you want to catch up where we were, first week we, looked, we asked a question about the ultimate vital sign, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Life, vitality, vital signs are all based on do you know Jesus? And we asked the question, I wonder if you know him. And then last week, we we drilled it down a little bit more practical, the practical stuff about training to know Jesus. And we identified uh, spiritual training, and Paul says like an athlete training to to know Jesus better. So the third uh, vital sign that we're going to run today is, I said, we're looking at vital sign of healthy community. Knowing and loving God and loving each other. So let me just read from John 17, and we'll pray and watch a video and go to work. Okay, so John 17, this is Jesus praying, in, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's absolutely focused right at the end of his uh, life, before his, de- his death and resurrection. He's praying one of the most critical things that's in his head. Just as Paul said, I want to know Jesus, Jesus is praying this. We find at the end of John 17, he prays for the disciples that are with him, and then he says, I don't pray for just those disciples, those people that have been with him in his life, not only for those only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So I'm counting myself in there, and if you believe in Jesus, you should count yourself in there. So he's praying that for us, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Lord, I thank you that you prayed this incredible prayer, You prayed this prayer that we'd have intimacy and relationship with you just the same way as you have intimacy and relationship with your Father. And you prayed that that would make us a community, that would make us united, a common unity. Lord, and I pray as we dig into this topic of community, that it wouldn't be just a, a little talk about being friends together, but it'd be a talk about how we image you as a loving community. So we pray, Lord Jesus, speak to us, shine your light into our hearts, and I pray that we'd go out loving you more and loving each other more in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you a little video clip. It's actually uh, from a film from 2005. It shows my age uh, that I like this film, watch this film, 2005, although it was the winner of the 78th Oscars in 2005, and it's from a film called Crash. Touches you. 
time, and I don't know why. Why do you keep everybody a certain distance, huh? What, you start to feel something in panic? You think you know who you are? You have no idea. You had a conversation with God, huh? What did God say? I'm trying to help you. I didn't ask for your help, did I? It's the sense of touch. I think we miss that touch so much that we crash into each other just so we can feel something. <laughs> something else, man? People, man. People. Great film. I hope that probably does. Has anyone seen that film? You really got to. If you're sort of young, it's a great film. It's about how... <laughs> now, you probably thought, I missed it. 2005, you think I was just born. Uh, yeah, just, um, you, it's a great film about how life in LA is always behind metal and glass, that you're always in your car, that you're always in your, uh, your house, that no, but you've got no sense of community. And the, and the film is about how, how, through various kind of road accidents, uh, it's not a focused about road accidents is not gory, but how through those road accidents each person's lives interact and how some lives come together and some lives unravel. But there's three, two or three little quotes in there that, that I think is really helpful as we look into community. It says, it's, it's that sense of touch. He says it in a much better voice than I do, doesn't he? That, it's a sense of touch. Any real city, you, you walk, you bump into people, but in LA we're always behind this metal and gloss. And then that lady shouts at the guy, says, why do you keep everyone at such a distance? Are you scared you might feel something and panic? And then it finishes with something funny. People, man. People. And um, it's this great idea of how, how people, as I say, interact. And so I want to pull that through. And so the first thing I want to say is that we live in fragmented community. We live in fragmented community. I'm a geographer, and I guess uh, if you're doing geography, you'd probably say that, that communities change. It's changed from small, kind of rural villages where everybody knew each other and extended families where everyone knew each other to kind of vast conurbations. We do okay in Cheltenham. I like Cheltenham. You can walk in, into town in Cheltenham and meet someone that you know. We lived in Manchester, and I've lived in London. That would be very, very rare. You don't really, it's kind of faceless and you don't really connect. And, and, and so there's this sense where everybody's just kind of living in this anonymous urban landscape and, and, and nobody knows each other. And, and it, it's tragic. And I'd ask you the question, do you know your neighbours? Do you know your neighbours? I mean, we try to be, we've just got some new neighbours moved in. We tried to introduce ourselves and we gave them a bottle of wine and said, hey, good to see you. And it, and it felt kind of clunky, like, what, Really? I thought we just kind of lived in our boxes, drove in our boxes, and you don't connect. And, um, and so geographers would say it's about kind of urbanization. But sociologists and philosophers would perhaps highlight something a little deeper about, about individualism, that there's a, a growing sense of individualism, that we're, we see ourselves not as families anymore. We see ourselves as, as collections of individuals. That, and families that used to be large families, extended families, have now become nuclear families. There's kind of a, a, a couple and some kids. And even now, the, the fragmentation of that family into kind of maybe just a, a, a mom and some kids. More and more families fragment. We need more and more houses. Uh, people, society is broken up into a collection of isolated individuals. And we find ourselves alone. 
In fact, the French philosopher, I've just put in a few clever stuff for you students just to make you think, hey, this is a really cool church and they know what they're talking about. French philosopher Descartes, he said, oh, Descartes was quoted at church. Descartes, he said, he said famously, I think, therefore I am. And in that moment when he said that, he really defined being a human as being a solitary, rational thinker. We're not community, we're a people on our own. We're, and what we've done is we've invested, invested our identity as in, being individuals. And so we, we keep everyone at a distance, like the film Clash says. Why do you keep everyone at such a distance? You're scared you might feel something and panic. We keep everybody out there. You know, we put on our masks and we put on our image and we keep everybody out there and there's a, a, we're, we're separated. But our lives are really isolated. Uh, Franciscan friar Richard Rohr writes this. The primary philosophical and spiritual problem is the West, in the West is the lie of individualism. Individualism makes community impossible. It says we've overdone this notion of the private self, as if it's the only game in town without deep, loving community who experience only the insecurity and fragility of the small self. And I know that. I know that often in my own thoughts, you know, you think, who can I talk to? Who can I share this with? Who, who, who can understand me? And what I do is I don't find myself enlarged by being alone. I find myself squashed down by being alone. I find myself insecure and fragile as I work things through. And you're probably more robust than me, but many of you might feel the same. But the thing is, there's something within us, a kind of a longing for connection. So although we've been told that we're individuals and we define ourselves by our, by our achievements, we've been told we're individuals, but actually we know we long for connection. We've done quite well this morning, actually. But one of the things, if you have a, an auditorium, people will sit separately. We struggle to connect, but yet we don't want to be on our own. And we've got that incredible tension, and we feel that we're made for community. And actually, you won't be surprised that the Bible agrees that we're made for community. God agrees that we're made for community. At the start of the Bible, the start of the creation narrative, you see that God creates uh, the different days, and at the end of each day, it's almost like he steps back, he speaks into being, steps back and says, that's good, that's good. He made the stars, the heavens, the earth, the planet. Uh, that was good, that's good. And at the, in, at the end of Genesis 26 and 27, he makes humanity. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image and in our likeness. Let them rule over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image, or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, created him male and female. And God says, and he saw it was very good. But actually in Genesis 2, we see that kind of verse stretched out a little bit. We see the, the, the verse stretched out. And what happens in Genesis 2 is that the, the, the man... Uh, the word Adam means man, and it's become mankind. So you get this kind of, oh, is it a man or is it mankind? Does Adam, one man, does he make a man or does he make mankind? And, but actually, there's a sense where actually he makes one individual, a guy called Adam, the first human, as it were, he makes them. And it says at the beginning of Genesis uh, chapter 2, there's the Lord God formed the man from Adam, from the dust of the ground, and breathed life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. And then it says God put the, the, the man in a garden to work the garden. And he said, but then we get this, after God has said it's very good, it's very good, very good, we get this, it's not good. Because man's on his own. There's animals, he says, name the animals and all this kind of stuff. And he says, but then God says, Genesis 2, 18 says, it is not good 
for man to be alone. I'll make a helper. Now, don't get, ladies, if you feel insecure, helper is like the same word that is often used for God. I'll make a helper, one who comes alongside, almost like the same as used for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make something that images me much better. Because actually, fundamentally, you, to, although you can, and every individual, if you're single, every individual does image God. But actually, there's a sense where together we image God much better because actually God is, is a, a loving community. He's, a, a, he's not a single person God who's self-obsessed with himself or just focused only himself. Actually, he's a, he's a loving community. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. He's one plus one plus one. So he makes another one plus one equals one and calls it marriage. But actually, that's out of marriage comes family and connection and belonging. And so what happens is that actually we, we see ourselves not just as individuals, but no, we image God in relationships. Because God is a God of relationship. Before he was the creator, before anything existed, before he was the ruler, before anything was to be ruled, he was a loving father, loving and delighting in his son by the Holy Spirit. And that is such a fundamental truth that God calls himself father for a reason. Because he's defined by his relationships. Defined first and foremost, not by his power or his rule or his sovereignty. And we believe all those things about God. But first and foremost, he's a loving father. And actually, we find uh, that our web of relationships is what defines us. It's your web of relationships that makes you unique. Look, put your hand up here if you're a teacher. Okay, one or two school teachers. Now, there's probably, you think, well, there's nobody else who's as good as me or nobody who's as gifted as me. And, and for me, as a geography teacher, I did feel that quite a lot of time. Often my appraisal said otherwise. But, you know, you'd feel, I am unique in my achievements. If you're a student, one of the things that as a student or a sixth former, they've gone out, the, the, the 18, uh, under 18s. But one of the things is they, they say, oh, I want to be an, a, a unique individual. It's my daughter. I shouldn't use my daughter. I've been told off for using my daughter as an illustration. But she's an example of a typical sixth former. And what she does is she said, oh, I want to buy that clothes and I want to buy these. It's New Balance now, not Van. And it's skinny jeans and whatever. And she buys all those things and she has her hair done in a certain way. She says, I want to be that because I want to be an individual. And then when you go to Balcaris, which is where she goes to school, all the children, I, I'm a governor there, all the sixth formers, excuse me, they probably think they're expressing their individuality. But as a 55-year-old bloke, they all just look the same to me. <laughs> and it's probably like that as a student. You go there and you think, you know, I just need to find my own self, my own space. It's fresh as week. I need to be myself. And, but what happens is there's something that, that wants to squash you all into the same mold. And we think, well, that's wrong. But because we, so we struggle with all this. We identify ourselves not by our relationships. But actually, there's, always, there's, always, there's been thousands of geography teachers there's been lots and lots of people that have done the things that I've done who can shoot 105 at golf. You know, there's thousands of people. Anybody, you can grab them off the street if they've never played and they can shoot 105. You know, but, but there's plenty of people like that. But actually, there's only one me in my network of relationships. And there's only one you in your network of relationships. That's what makes you unique. You're mothers and fathers and daughters and sons and wives and husbands and children of God if you're a Christian. No one shares that same matrix of relationships. And I've used this illustration before, but I think it's really helpful to help us get into that. So in the West, because we're very individualistic, for example, if you lose your job in the West, 
It's devastating because your identity is built up in yourself and in what you do. And you take away that job, you take away that, the income that that job provides and suddenly you think, who am I? So if, you've, if your identity is in your good looks and you have an accident, or your identity is in your sport and achievement and you can no longer do that, suddenly you feel incredibly insecure. What, what am I about? Your sense of well-being is bound up in what, who, what we do. But actually, when we think about it, and if, 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 if your sister got divorced, if my sister got divorced, that, that, that wouldn't, in Western society, wouldn't reflect upon me. It would sadden me. But it wouldn't reflect on my identity. Because I tend not to say, oh, I'm Ruth and Deb's brother. I say, I'm a teacher, or I lead a church, or whatever. It's not reflects on my identity in the West. But if you take that to the East... Where identity is communal, it's bound up in family and tribe and nation. Identity is not about what we do, but it's about an us. So if the person in, the, in, 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 the, in, the, um, in Syria, for instance, you know, it's a chaos, isn't it? All the people fleeing, there was a guy who was interviewed on the news, said, I'm a doctor. And it was interesting because he was kind of partly Western and partly Eastern in his talking. He said, you know, so it's great to have my family with me but I feel like I'm not myself because I'm not doing my doctoring. These are like on the interface. But actually the Western thinking would be, so if I've lost my job, that's not, a, that's, that's not tragic for me because my family is still contributing. My family still work. My family still work, uh, are involved. And I don't feel a sense of shame. But if, 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 if that man's sister gets divorced because there's a collective identity, that is massively shaming. And that's why we, got the, we get these horrible so-called honour killings. So it's not there's a right way and a wrong way. Each has got its challenges. But actually, we need to have this sense of personhood and oneness. And that's what God is like. That Father is not the Son, He's not the Spirit. There's a sense of personhood, but yet there's a sense of oneness. And we need to have that sense of, yes, my identity is in relationships, but I'm still an individual. I'm not autonomous. I'm a person in community. I cannot be who I am without regard to other people. I find my identity, we find our identity and ourselves not by distancing ourselves from others, by relating to others. But actually one of the things is that sin fractures community. So my fourth point is sin breaks community. That actually we were made for community. It's not good for man to be alone, so he makes a, another one complementary to him who goes alongside, who fits together beautifully, who makes family, produces life. But actually, sin fractures that. So right at the very beginning, the relationship with God and the relationship with each other is broken. So when Adam, our first, Adam and Eve, our first parents, reach out and take the fruit and eat it, they say, God, I don't want relationship with you. I want to be an individual. I want to be my own God. I want to be the master of my own world. I don't want to be in relationship with you. But actually the consequences are shocking. Not only do we cut ourselves off from life, as we talked about in the last two weeks, but we cut ourselves off from each other. Immediately there's there's blaming. It was the woman that you gave me that made me do it. Oh, it was the serpent who told me to do it. And there's blaming and there's fractured relationships. And they start to hide. And I've talked about this loads of times because it's so fundamental. That, that They start to hide from God. It's, it says God came walking with them. As he'd done before, there's this closeness and community between man and God. There's heaven and earth together. And then what happens is that, that sin comes and we hide. We hide from God. 
but also hide from each other. They saw they were naked and they covered themselves up. They pathetic attempts to start with little fig leaves. But eventually God slays a, an animal and covers, covers them. And that's what he's going to do later. He's going to cover us with Jesus so we don't feel shame. But, but we're wandering around in society with our little fig leaves, trying to make ourselves look a lot better than we are because sin has broken community. Again, so if you get, uh, you know, you get Descartes and now we've got Bonhoeffer. This is a great quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German uh, writer who, and preacher who died in the um, concentration camps in the World War II. He said this very profoundly. He does that switch over. If you ever want to make a good quote, flip things over. This works. Let him, could be a her, sorry, but this, he said him. Let us or him who is not in community beware of being alone. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. We, we, um, there's something about being alone that although we, we, we'll talk about how that's scary, but actually something about alone is quite preferable. You, you don't have to negotiate which food, what food you eat. You know, the tension between the carnivore and the vegetarian that's happening constantly in our house, that, that's not there, I just eat what I want. I don't have to negotiate with anyone. I can watch what I want, go to bed when I want. I could do. If I lived alone, there's no negotiation. There's no sense of anybody to uh, please but myself. I could live on my desert island of my own emotions, pull up the drawbridge and say to the world, thank you very much. There's no need to compromise. No one can challenge you, though. So what happens is, as Bonhoeffer is saying, if, you, if you're not in real community, they run the risk of, of sliding into secret patterns of behavior. So one of the things that I, I, I worry about when, when, when single guys particularly, but also single girls, when they live alone, I worry about what little sins they can just drift into. Because actually when we live without community, we need to be aware You slide into secret sins. You become accountable, unteachable, defensive, a lone ranger. And that happens not just with individuals, but actually I think that happens with families as well. I find that, that the nuclear family, and this kind of might hit a bit into our culture, but the nuclear family, the kind of man and wife and couple of kids, they, they can do that. They can get their own, their own little island and island themselves off and they can and this tightly sealed nuclear family obsessing about themselves and their kids and no one else. And we live this kind of isolated world. Let him who's not in community beware of being alone. But actually, the other side, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. The thing is, we struggle with loneliness, don't we? We feel, I don't want to be on my own. For many people, loneliness is a dark, a sad place, an angry place, a weak place, an empty place, a defeated place. People fear loneliness and rejection more than anything. That's the big tension that's going on in the sixth form and in the universities and when you first start your first job. But actually, it's for all of us. We're just better at covering it up. And some of us think, I, dr- I just need to be in the crowd. And there's something about the crowd dynamic. I always find the New Year's Eve crowd dynamic the most crazy. Because you can be in a, lo- you can be a New Year's Eve thing and there's loads and loads of people, but you can be very alone. 
And sometimes what we do, and, and I've done this in the past in my life, we'll do anything, say anything, t- uh, uh, sleep with anyone to just feel connected, to feel that sense of touch, to feel that sense of belonging. We'll do anything and we hide ourselves in the crowd. We fear loneliness so much that we, we think, well, if I'm with people, it will feel the inner emptiness. We compromise our values, but, but crowd is not community. A lot of people is not community. Being, being in a big bunch of people is not community. There's, there's something else. Because in community, if you're in a crowd, you can wear your mask and you can put your image on, but inside you still feel alone. But in community, the mask comes off and the pretense drops and you find each other. And God wants us to have that sense of community, that sense of touch. So we're not scared to be with people. We're not, we're, we're not uh, always on our islands or, or chasing the crowd, but there's something rooted in us. And, I, and I've called this point, the three invite us in. When God declared it's not good for man to be alone, he didn't just say, oh, we'll just put you a man and wife together and that's going to sort it. He's going to do the, sort that horizontal relationship, but first he's got to sort that vertical relationship. Jesus comes to, to invite us in to share his life. That's the, what he brilliantly, amazingly prays in the garden. It's what we read. I ask you then that they may be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I'm in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that become perfectly one so that the world may know. Jesus is praying an incredible thing. You can imagine heaven listening and saying, really, is he really asking for that? Is he really saying just as the, 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 the Father uh, dwells in intimate closeness, he's in the Son, and, the, and the, the Son is in the Father by the Spirit, and there's that incredible closeness. He's praying, let that be like us. That he's going to be in us by his Spirit, and we're going to know him and feel that sense of invited into that community life. I think the angels must say, that's unbelievable, what about sin? Obviously, Jesus is going to go to the cross to deal with sin. He's going to go to the cross to deal with that rejection of God and that individuality. He's going to say, now, come in. Come in. You hear it again and again in that passage. They'd be one. They'd be one. They'd be one. Jesus died to break the power of sin and its power to fracture community. And he rose again to invite us into his life. One of my favorite verses is in Romans. It says, God has poured out his love and our lives by the Holy Spirit. That's the taste of being invited in. That's the emotional moment, but it's the theological truth, I'm invited in. The love of God then, when it, when it flows to us, it cannot be contained, it will flow out to others. It will flow out to others. Community is actually a really good way to find what life with God is like. If you look at a marriage, it gives you an indication of your walk with God. The the quality of community is what gives you an indication of the life of God. And I'd love to fill this theatre and have the rocking band and have it like Hillsong United or wherever church you do. But actually, that is not the indicator of a vital church. The quality of a church, the life of a church, and we'd love all that, but the life of a church is in the community. uh, John says this, Jesus' disciples, one who's closest to him, says this, if anyone says, I love God... 
but hates his fellow believers. No regard for his fellow believer. That person's a liar. If you don't love people who you can see, how can you love God who you can't see? To become a Christian is to be invited in to share with him. Share with him community. Church as a community is, is not part of the small print. It's not an additional invitation. Come and find Jesus and come and find church. It's the natural expression of the flow of the love of God to find a community of people to belong to. And we don't do that because we come as consumers. What's in it for me? How can I find position? How can I find this and that and the other? But actually, you should be able to put your finger, as it were, and test the temperature of community. Now, people say about God first, well, the community is good because we're small. And that certainly does help. But actually, I think more than that, it's a theological... I was saying this to somebody over, uh, over Chinese. He's a theologian, so it was that kind of discussion. And I said to him, but there's a theological truth we need to be friends. It's not really church if we're not really friends. You should find friends here. So how can we build Godship communities? Land it now. Well, almost. <laughs> how can we find, build Godship communities at God first? I remember going to church for years, and no comment on my parents' church and faith, but actually, you never knew anyone. There was a big auditorium, as I said earlier. You, people sat around, scattered around. You didn't know anyone. No one knew what was going on in your life, whether you were doing well or doing badly. No one knew the, 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 the situations in community. Someone in our community has gone missing. In a big church, that could just get lost. But it can get lost in a small church if they don't do community. And it can not get lost in a big church if they do community. It's not about size. It's about this theological connection. We say, no, in in churches, relationships has got to be more than a a, a nod and a low. So the reason we do cakes is because we want you to talk to each other. I don't like the fact that the rows all face this way. Really, ideally, they should all face in a big circle. It shouldn't be a face to me as if I'm the person you interact with. No, we're together. When we come together, we can feel lonely. But actually, church is never meant to be church, uh, uh, facing at the front and watching a show. It's about a community that engages with each other and images the living God. So the functioning shape of church is family. So we believe that, that the best way to live life is to be families. At God first, we believe that Christian life happens best in authentic community when lives are shared together. And what we try and do is you can't really organize that, but we, we are doing that. So at the moment, we've got three what we call God-first communities. They are not the God-first communities, but each of those... Sorry, I asked these people for pictures really last minute, so they aren't the posed ones. In fact, the one at the bottom I took on my iPhone, I apologise. But uh, we've got Steve and Joanna, top left, as you look at it. Uh, Tom and Flick, top right. And uh, Tom and... Everyone's called Tom in this church. Uh, Tom and Lucy in the middle. And what we're trying to do is say that they've got a team of people, that are the only people, they're a team of people, but their job is to build community. Their job's to say, come and belong. Come and share life with us. Come and connect. Come and do it. And you might say, but actually there's nobody in that group I really get on with. There's nobody in that group I really like. Found this killer of a quote for that. It's long, but I'll read it. It's Henry Newman. You've got to listen when he talks. Community has little to do with mutual compatibility. 
Similarities in educational background or philosophical makeup or social status can bring us together, but they can never be the basis for community. Community is grounded in the God who calls us together, not in the attractiveness of people to one another. There are many groups that have been formed to protect their own interests or defend their own status or promote their own causes, but none of these is a Christian community. Instead of breaking through the walls, that, uh, the walls of fear and creating new space for God, if we don't do it right, we close ourselves off from real or imaginary intruders. My family is nicely walled up. Don't let anyone in. My church nicely connected. The groups are full. No friendship relationships. The mystery of God's community is precisely that embraces all peoples, whatever their individual differences may be, and allows them to live together as family, brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. Do you get that? So we make groups and people say, no one like me, no one's going to meet my needs, no one's going to be connected to me. And I understand that, but actually community is deeper than that. Let's press through. I want to invite you into community. I want to invite you to connect. Jesus prayed, may they be one as we are one. And why does he do that? What happens when when Christians dwell together as a brilliant community? Who takes notice? Not just that we get loved and cared for. Who takes notice? The world. The world takes notice. Because the world is living broken fractured, individual lives, stretched out across the conurbation, not knowing our neighbours, defining ourselves by our individualism, losing ourselves in the crowd, but never finding true community. Jesus says, if you do this right, it shows what I'm like. The world might believe that I've come, that the world might know that you've loved me. The world needs to be loved. A lonely world needs to be loved. And if we do it right... The world will find love. So we, I want to encourage you to be in community in this church. If you decide to be, if you're visiting, you decide for this to be part of the church, this is a high bar church. We're going to encourage you, nag you, cajole, cajole you, love you, invite you around for dinner. We're going to do all that because we don't want you just to come and sit in the seat and then go home. We want you to belong. And if you're an introvert, you might think, oh, I'd rather just... But actually, even with the most introverted of people, we've made the journey so they feel loved and known and they belong and they start to share their life. It is just a little quote. Sorry, it's not a little quote, it's a long one. This is a quote from a book uh, called uh, Everyday Church. And if you've done our membership course, our membership day, vision values, uh, I use this quite a lot, I love it. It's talking, it's a description by a guy from Sheffield, so a big city, a guy from Sheffield in the north of England, describing what community looks like. It says, you're in and out of each other's lives throughout the week. Oh, I thought we just met on Wednesdays. That's where we are a bit at this moment, God first, but we've got to move through that. We're in and out of each other's lives throughout the week. Dropping in at lunch or tea, a number of you join a local book or film or knitting or sports club or volunteer club. You stop off at the pub with some of your workmates. You call ahead and a couple of people from your G1C community join you. You frequent the same cafes and pubs. You walk the dogs, water the plants, look after the kids and wash the dishes. Those ones at the end, go back. If anybody wants volunteering for those, I'm happy. 
I'll come wash your dishes, whatever, but you must walk my dog, all right? Okay, so, and then he goes on, he says, where each other's sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, the kind of friends and neighbors everybody wants. You find yourself hanging out with others in your community in ordinary everyday life and slowly but surely learn to pray and play and laugh and cry and sit and study and plan to engage with each other as others' friends together. In other words, you're learning to do life on life on mission. That's what we're trying to do at God First. That is what we're trying to do because I believe that that's what Jesus was praying in the garden. Let them be one. Let their their life intertwine and flow together like our life intertwines and flow together. And actually, to make it easier, our life's going to be in them that they can do it. So we're going to break bread now. One of the best expressions of family and community is called eating together. Called eating together. Jesus did this on the night he's betrayed. He didn't just pray that they'd be one. He did it. Shared a meal with his friends he took bread. He says, this is my body. It's one. One body. The Anglicans have got it so well, nicely well. It says, although we are many, we are one body because we share the one bread. And Jesus' body was broken on the cross. He was separated from his Father. He was isolated and alone in the dark. He faced the horror of loneliness and abandonment, and fractured community. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that to take all your brokenness, and loneliness, and fractured community. But now, he says, now come and eat with me. The people you eat with are the people that you love and value. Eating is a family expression. So we're saying, now come and eat. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.